Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It is May the 31st, 2023. It has been 26 weeks. Wow. Tonight is the end of Revelation, of our Revelation class. Thank you for letting me teach it. Thank you for your participation. I've enjoyed it very much. My brain is fried. I am tired of studying. Even though I get my slides all done, I still study between 15 and 20 hours between classes, and my brain is tired. Thank you for for, for participating. I appreciate all the comments, both in class as well as after class. It's been very helpful. Tonight we are going to cover chapter 21. And if, if, uh, if, if Glenn doesn't mind, can you read chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 as well? Yeah, 22, just verses 1 and 2 out of 22, that's all. Go ahead, you've got the floor. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there were no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holiest Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, 
three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, one hundred and forty cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedona, the fourth emerald, the fifth sarnix, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystal light, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine. In it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gate shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruit, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The gold street, singular street, down the middle of heaven, down the middle of that street there is the river of life, and on either side of the river of life is the tree of life. The tree of life is not a tree, it is a species of tree. There is at least one on earth, and there's at least two in heaven. She did a good job. And I will admit, I did not realize the actual layout of that structure until I actually saw her her painting. I went back and read the verse, and then I suddenly understood it. So thanks, thanks to Miss Smith there for her painting. We need to go back to chapter 20 just for one one minute, and cover one last item. I saved this item for for when we cover chapter 21 because we're going to be referencing this Judgment Day information in chapter 21 to do some proofs. Judgment Day in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Now we have, in chapter 19, we have the beast and the false prophet being tossed into the lake of fire. 
Chapter 19 is our first introduction to the lake of fire. Now in chapter 20, verses 10 through 16, we have four more four more groups of people, people or groups of people, being cast into the lake of fire. In verse 10, we have Satan being cast in. <clears throat> in verse 14, we have death being cast into the lake of fire. Chapter 5, verse 15 is Hades. And then in verse 16 is those whose names are not in the book of life. When you take this entire list, I believe you've pretty much taken care of all of the evil entities in the book of Revelation. Are any missing that you see? I don't think any are missing. The ones whose names specifically may not be listed are captured in that last bullet. The, uh, their names are not in the book of life. I think that gets everybody, though. Now, that's going to be important when we start talking about the New Jerusalem. I would like to, I would like to make a comment about three or four verses, and then we will actually get into what is the New Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 2 for a second. And I, John, saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven. Premillennialists, if you talk about the New Jerusalem to premillennialists, they're going to tell you that, yeah, it's coming down from heaven and it's coming all the way down to earth. Some will say, no, it's not coming down to earth. It's going to be located basically where the moon is located, and it's going to rotate around the earth. I have no idea what that means. I I read that, and I'm still scratching my head on exactly what premillennialists are intending there. I think they're intending for this new Jerusalem to actually be a physical place where the thousand year reign is actually going to occur. Do you remember back one of the first few lessons we talked about we talked about the thousand year reign and we were talking about how premillennialists claim that Armageddon in chapter 16 is the end of the world but then they say the end of the earth and then they say in chapter 20 that same earth is where the thousand year reign is going to to occur well about i don't know a few decades ago they they changed their mind they said, no, 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 it's not going to be on the old earth in the old heaven because that's gone in chapter 16. It's going to be in chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth. Here in just a moment, I'm going to show you how that contradicts Revelation itself. And they've actually gone back within the last 10 years, according to the Jack Benepe show on Sunday mornings, They said they have gone back now and redefined where the thousand-year reign is going to occur. It's not going to recur on the old earth. It's not going to occur on the new earth. It's going to recur, and I apologize for not knowing the name of it, but there was a new planet that supposedly NASA discovered back, what, five, six, seven years ago? That's where the thousand-year reign is now going to occur. But if you go talk to a premillennialist, these guys don't even read their own history. A lot of them still think that the thousand-year reign is going to be on literal earth, this earth. A lot of them have not caught up yet and read their own history and keep up with their own people to find out, yeah, that's changed twice since it was this earth. But that's going to be important in just a moment because we're going to use that as a proof concerning what, uh, what the new Jerusalem is not. 
It never says the New Jerusalem is coming to earth. It never said that the New Jerusalem is going to orbit earth. It's just coming down into the view of John. Any comment on that? That's, that's about the best insight I have into what premillennialists are doing with this, with this particular verse. Does anyone have any better insight into that? Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's, it, if nothing else, it's changing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we have time, I have something really interesting at the end to show concerning changing stuff. I hope, I hope we can get to it. Um, this one, this verse is very interesting. It has three interesting words in it. And I'll tell you the truth, I'm just about ready to find a way to take BibleHub.com and all of its comments and definitions and commentaries and figure out some way to put it in a hardbound book so I can just carry that around with me instead of the electronic Bible I have in my, on my phone. Because every time I read BibleHub.com, I learn something fascinating, new every time. Let's take a look at these three words in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says, the verse says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's look at that word fearful. Now you would think that just means all people who are scared of whatever. If you look at the actual definition of the Greek word, it actually means an excessive fear of losing something. The best I can apply to that would be, well, if I, if I stand up for what's right, I may lose a job. I may lose an interview. I may lose a friendship. That's the fearful it's talking about. People who are afraid of losing something because they are standing up for what is right. Those are the ones who will not inherit the new Jerusalem. Let's take a look at sorcerers. This one was odd. The, the, the word sorcerers, if you take the Greek word and transliterate it into English, it is spelled P-H-A-R-M-A-K-O-S. And yes, you do see the word pharma. That's the root word. The actual meaning is a poisoner, a sorcerer, or a magician. BibleHub.com has a little paragraph. I want to read it to you. It says, it refers to people who use drugs and religious incantations, that's spells and charms, to drug people into living their illusions as having magical superpowers to manipulate God into giving them more temporal possessions. That's a mouthful. That's interesting. You don't exactly get that whenever you just hear the word sorcerer. But that, that's, that's the actual meaning of that Greek word. This one is particularly interesting. I think the word all, all liars, that word all, all means all, but the Greek word itself has a little bit, little bit more of a twist to it. The word all means every kind or form. So all liars would be every kind or form of falsehood, deceit, lying, and truth. You say, well, well, what do you mean by all forms of lying? Well, it's a liar who says, but I have to lie. I've heard that, I've heard that a few times in my life. Well, I have to lie. I don't, that person can't know 
whatever. Or it's that little white lie. It's still a lie, that little white lie. There was a politician, and James Andrews actually mentioned this in one of his Bible classes a few months ago. There was a politician who actually told a bold-faced lie, and he was being interviewed after the election. It was a, it was a congressional election. He was interviewed after the election, and the person said, you lied, this is actually the facts. And he said, yeah, I lied. He actually admitted it. And she said, don't you feel bad about it? And his answer was, do you remember what his answer was, James? He said, we won, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. Well, we won, didn't we? There's you, a lie. The liar who says, but we won, didn't we? And I'm sure you can come up with, with a lot more. I'm sure you've heard a lot of different types of liars. This verse says all kinds of them, every one of them. Interesting little twist on that word all. Because apparently, apparently that Greek word is saying, yeah, there's more than just one liar. There's all kinds of different liars, types of liars. Now, Brother Glenn read from the New King James Version. I was following along with him so I could click the pictures, the images. Um, the King James Version in chapter 21, verse 21 says this. He says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent. Every several gate was of one pearl. This gets into that 1611 definition. The Greek language is a frozen language. It's not going to change meaning, but boy, the English language, I can't keep up with all the changes. The word several probably meant something different than we use it for today. The actual better translation is what the New King James says it's individual or each respective gate or each gate was one solid pearl. Um, it's not really a bad translation. It's just that that word doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. This is a mo- more modern day, modern day translation for our definitions. Verse 23, we've actually covered this already, but let's do it one more time. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine on, shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. There they need no sunshine bright in that city four square, for the Lamb is all the light, and there is no night there. Not quite, not quite. Now, if they read the King James Version when they wrote that song, okay, yeah, I can see where they would say that. If you will look at the word lighten, or for the glory of God did lighten, it means light up, it shines, it lights up heaven. If you look at the, the original Greek word, come back here, the original Greek word for the lamb is the light, that's actually a portable lamp that sits on a stand. The lamb is not the light, he reflects the light. The light is the glory of God. Can that be proven by Scripture? Yep, yes it can. John chapter 14, verses 9 through 10. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, Show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I spoke to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus is a reflection of the glory of God. He is not the light. God is the light. So realize what's going on in this this song. I kind of wish they had said that for the Lamb is the lamp. That would be a little bit more accurate. Jesus reflects that glory. He is not He is not the light. God is the light. The glory of God lights heaven. Just just be aware of that. Okay, let's get to the New Jerusalem debate. Okay, there are four possibilities. Well, there are four arguments going on concerning the New Jerusalem. There are four things that it could possibly be. Number one, it could be the location of the thousand-year reign. That's premillennialism. Number two, it could be Jerusalem being rebuilt after its destruction. Number three, it could be heaven. Or number four, it could be the church. So which one is it? Let's take a look at the location of the thousand-year reign. We've already discussed it some. Let's look at it a little bit further. There is no way that the new Jerusalem can be the location of the thousand-year reign. One reason is because the thousand-year reign has already occurred in chapter 20. How do I know that the thousand-year reign has occurred in chapter 20 and is over? The reason is because chapter 20 says that Satan has been loosed from his constraints. Remember, the constraint is the thousand-year reign. He has been loosed from his constraints. How do I know that? Because in chapter 20, verse 10, Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire. He's done. That's that's the end of Satan. That's the end of that problem. Also, chapter 21 says that the old earth and the old heaven, the old sky, the old universe, are gone. Therefore, we are in a spiritual realm now. It's, It's no longer a physical realm. Now, this one... This is a direct contradiction by premillennialism on Revelation. According to chapter 21, verse 27, it says, Nothing unclean or defiled will enter the new, the new Jerusalem. When the premillennials talk about the thousand-year reign, they say, well, the Christians need someone to reign over, so that's when the the evil souls from the abyss, from the from from the bottomless pit from torment are going to come up and join them in the earth, the new Jerusalem. Well, that contradicts chapter 27. Chapter 27 says nothing evil is going to come into the new Jerusalem. So if you have a premillennialist friend who keeps saying that this new Jerusalem that John saw coming down out of the sky is going to be where the, where the, 20, where the thousand year reign is going to occur, here's your four arguments and tell these to them and see what they say. They may just ignore you. I've, I've seen that before too. But there, there's four strong arguments. The thousand-year reign in premillennialism just directly contradicts a lot of places in the book of Revelation. So there is no way that the New Jerusalem is going to be the location of the thousand-year reign. And I'm going to have to speed up here and quit talking so much. Jerusalem being rebuilt after its destruction. Well, that's not going to happen. Let's see, what was the point of that one? 
Judgment of evil has already occurred. Oh, we're in the spiritual realm now. There is no rebuilding of Jerusalem because by the time you get to chapter 21, we are in the spiritual realm, not the physical realm. Satan has already been cast in the lake of fire, which means judgment day has already occurred. The old earth and the old heaven, the old sky have passed away, so there is physically no place to rebuild a new Jerusalem. Physically. So there's... so. So there, you've got those two. We can knock them out very quickly. The New Jerusalem is not the location of the thousand-year reign. It's not going to be Jerusalem being rebuilt after its destruction. Otherwise, you're directly contradicting what 21 is telling us, as well as part of chapter 20. So it's either going to be heaven or it's going to be the church. Do you remember how we determined the meaning of the tribulation? We jumped into my my favorite area of Revelation, the Forbidden Zone. We looked at the characteristics of the tribulation. We took the time frame of John writing this book and we looked at at what was taking place in history and comparing these characteristics with what was taking place in history and seeing what event in history is currently going to satisfy all these criteria. The identity of the villain of the Revelation was something very similar. There, is, there are hints all through the book of Revelation, starting in, actually starting in chapter 6, about who the, who the villain actually is. We took all these characteristics of, of the villain, we put them on, it took two, it took two slides to hold them all. We took that and then we compared him with every identity in the second half of the first century to see who actually satisfied all those criteria. Did the same thing with the seven kings plus one. We did the same thing with the scrolls with the seven seals. We looked at history to find out what, what a scroll with seven seals actually meant in history to the Roman Empire. We also looked at this forbidden zone and we saw how the scrolls were being used, how these seals were being used. So, how are we going to determine what the New Jerusalem is? We're going to do the very same thing. The best way to learn Revelation is let Revelation teach you Revelation. We're going to let Revelation give us characteristics of the New Jerusalem, and we're going to go by those characteristics and see if we can figure out if it's a church or if it is heaven itself. On the right-hand side of the screen, you're going to see some numbers. Those are the verses in chapter 21 where these characteristics are found. First, the first three. The first one, the new, Jeru- the new heaven and the new earth are now in place. The old ones are gone. Therefore, we are strictly in the spiritual realm now. The physical is gone. That went before chapter 20 whenever Satan was thrown into the lake of fire. We see it descending from the sky. It's not on the earth. It's not coming to earth. Chapter 21 did not say it was coming to earth. We're still in the spiritual realm. There is no earth for it to go to. No physical earth. It is as a bride adorned for the husband. In this case, it's the Lamb of God. The next four, it has high walls. It has 12 gates. The tribes of Israel are written above each gate except for two. What two tribes are missing? Oh, you haven't forgotten it already, have you? What two tribes are missing, possibly, from the gates of heaven? What two tribes are missing from chapter 7? Ephraim and Dan. Remember? 
the 12 foundations, on each foundation, there is an apostle's name on that foundation. An angel measures the city. Gates are made of pearl. Streets are pure gold. Nothing defiled ever enters or lives there. The inhabitants of this city have their names written in the book of life. So what does that sound like to you? Does that sound like the church? Or does that sound like heaven? Obviously, it's a structure. I would say it was heaven. None of those characteristics match it being the church. Now, that being said, I will add this. There are times in the New Testament where a city's name is used to represent the inhabitants of that city. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Verse 37 from the New King James Version. This is probably the most popular and the most well-known instances of this. Jesus is standing outside of Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Was he talking about the, the, the physical... Structure, the physical walls, the physical houses and buildings. No, he's talking about the inhabitants. So you can, if if you like, you can use the term New Jerusalem to actually refer to the inhabitants. But the New Jerusalem that's being described in chapter 21 is the location, not the people. People don't have gates of pearl. They don't have streets of gold. They don't have 12 gates and 12 foundations. Any comment on that? Yes, sir. Let me, uh, let me mic you up. Thanks. Um, so the only, the only thing I don't understand if it's heaven is how heaven descends out of heaven. That gets back to that discussion we had back early, early on. I, I said that I'm, I'm kind of, kind of torn about the word heaven being used in Revelation because I never know if it's talking about the sky above earth, if it's where the stars are, or if it's where God dwells. And unfortunately, the Greek word for heaven in in the Book of Revelation does not do does not differentiate between those three places. In fact, it seems like the two or three words that are used are all used interchangeably. And it's it's kind of crazy. I don't know how to differentiate the two. In this case, well, remember, this is a vision. It may not be the actual literal heaven. And it may not be coming from a literal heaven. It may just be coming from the sky. It may be coming from where the stars are. We don't know. Um, it just may be an image of heaven coming from heaven. Possibly in this particular vision, part of the vision, maybe he can't see heaven and just a reflection of heaven is coming down. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. But I wish, I wish we had unique Greek words to describe each location. That would be wonderful. And if you ever figure out a way to understand those Greek words that are translated heaven, let me know. I would love to know, definitely.
That's a long way of saying I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say I don't know because there's a lot of this I don't know. Any other comments? Based upon these characteristics, it's going to have to be heaven. They're not describing people here. Now, we do have descriptions of the inhabitants of heaven other places in Revelation, but not in chapter 21. Okay, I have a little bit of time left. I want to show you something. Part of the introduction, the long introduction, the 95 slides introduction that I skipped got into the colors that Revelation uses. Revelation is a very colorful book. It uses colors to portray its meaning. Uh, in chapter 9, we had fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. Here in Revelation chapter 21, we have 12 different precious stones. Um, I don't know how well the projector is going to do here. No, it doesn't do it at all. Okay. Well, so much for that idea. You got fiery red, hyacinth, oh, that's not too bad, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. That doesn't come across very well either. The 12 foundations of heaven, does that, that does a little better. 12 foundations of heaven, jasper. I have no idea what John was seeing when he was seeing these foundations, but they must have been beautiful. That's jasper, that's all the colors that jasper can come in. And my favorite color, blue, sapphire. Huh? Yeah, this, uh, one of the reasons I like this particular one is because it's the color of the ocean. It's the color of shallow ocean and the color of deep ocean. I love those two colors. Uh, I have the pronunciation spelled out here. Chalcedon. Ah. The the accent is on the second syllable, chalcedony, I believe is how they pronounce it. Comes in blue, comes in green, it's beautiful. That was one of the... It does, doesn't it? So does emerald. There's your emerald. Semi-transparent. That's what it looks like in its natural form in rock. Sardonyx. It's a, part, it's a type of onyx. Comes in dark red, green, beige, brown, tan, black, white. Beautiful, yeah. A lot of these cover cover a lot of a lot of colors. Sardius. Can you imagine how pretty that would be to see a foundation made of this? Especially if it was one gigantic chunk and not just a bunch of pieces put together. Chrysolite, this is a type of quartz. Comes in various various colors. Barrel. You've got you've got bright orange. You've got fiery red. You've got beautiful blue, green, purple. Huh? Yeah, that green one looks like an emerald for sure. You have topaz. Topaz is real popular with rings because it gives you a starburst uh, pattern. That's one of the foundations. Now, is the foundation actually made out of these stones? Probably not. That's just the best way he could describe these foundations. But it, even at that, I'm sure it was beautiful. All these colors, all these textures. 
This one is hard to pronounce. The syllable is, the, the accent is on the second syllable. It's chrysoprosis. Chrysoprosis. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's, it's mainly, mainly green. One of the uses of this is apparently making them into small balls and making a, a, uh, a pearl necklace out of it. Although it's not pearl, it's, it's this matter. Jacinth. Dark red, bright yellow, all kinds of, of colors of red, popular with, with jewelry. Amethyst. Now, I don't know how you would take these stones and all these colors and paint a picture of what the outside of heaven looks like with these, but you see how pretty these stones are. I mean, they're just beautiful. So you imagine what John was actually able to see. That would, that would be something to see for sure. And then, of course, you have the gates of heaven being solid pearls. That's a big oyster. That's just, yeah. Granted, he's, he's taking something spiritual and trying to put it into physical terms. But it's still, even if it was physical, it'd be, it would be beautiful. It'd be expensive. It'd be beautiful. Any comment on the foundations and the pearls and the, and the gems? Yeah, imagine, imagine 12 foundations, your house having 12 foundations, and each one of them being a one solid piece of one of these types of gems. Wow. We have about six minutes left, so I want to show you something. Um, I've mentioned this a few times, but I haven't actually shown it to you. I call it out of order. It is a revelation characteristic you remember this slide? It's our slide of our premillennialist afterlife doctrine. We have three paths through this little chart. We have the top, along the top line, we have one in the middle of the page, and we have a, a path along the bottom of the page. If you lived a good enough life, according to premillennialists, if you lived, a, if you were a really good person, you're going to be raptured. If you were a really super bad person, notice the blood of the Lamb is not in here anywhere. If you were a super bad person, you were going to go to a place called Hades. That's basically torment, the bottomless pit, the abyss. But if you weren't good enough to be raptured, but not bad enough to go to torment, and God's wringing His hands trying to figure out what to do with you, According to premillennialists, you're going to go to this tribulation period, the, 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 middle, the middle of the page. Now notice the order. The order is what I want you to notice. If you're raptured, the order is you're raptured, you go to the judgment seat of Christ, and then you are involved in the marriage of the Lamb. If you are tossed into torment, well, there's just torment, and then you go into the thousand-year reign, and then you're thrown into the lake of fire. 
If you are not raptured and you are not put into torment, you are going to go through the tribulation period where you're going to stay for however long and you may or may not make it to the thousand year reign. Different premillennialists say different things. But the raptured folks and the tribulation folks have something in common. They have the battle of Armageddon, which can, can y'all see that? It's kind of a little, well, yeah, it's not too bad. The battle of Armageddon. And then you have the second coming. And then you have the thousand year reign where everyone gets together. And then you have the great white throne, according to this chart. And that's where you are separated. The ones who are going to heaven and the ones who are going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. So here's the order in which premillennialists say the afterlife is going to occur. They say first, there's going to be a rapture. Second, the tribulation. Rapture and tribulation are sort of at the same time. Third is the judgment seat of Christ. Fourth is the marriage of the Lamb. Fifth comes Armageddon. Sixth comes the second coming. Then seventh is a thousand year reign. And eighth is a great throne scene. Now, what is the revelation order of these objects, of these items? First, there is no rapture. If rapture is in Revelation, please tell me because I sure don't see it. I don't see anything about a rapture, not the premillennialistic rapture. Number two, the tribulation in Revelation is actually number one. It's actually listed first. The tribulation in Revelation lasts most of the book. The judgment seat of Christ, I have no idea what premillennialists are talking about there. There is nothing in Revelation called the judgment seat of Christ. So I don't know what they're talking about. There is a great throne scene. I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ is, so I'm not even going to guess. The marriage of the Lamb, they say, occurs number four. Actually, in Revelation, it occurs third. Premillennialists say that Armageddon occurs fifth. Actually, it occurs second. Premillennialists claim that the second coming occurs sixth. I don't see the second coming. Maybe they're talking about chapter 1 or in chapter 14 where it talks about Jesus surrounded by clouds and sitting in a cloud and descending. But that's just mentioning it. That's not actually happening. So maybe it's chapter 20 where, where the false prophets and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire for the first time. I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about, about the second coming. There is no second coming in the book of Revelation. The thousand-year reign, they say, occurs seventh. Actually, it occurs fourth. Okay, I was looking at the wrong slide here. It actually occurs fourth in Revelation. Then you have that great throne scene, the great white throne. Premillennialists say it occurs eighth. It actually occurs sixth. So here you have you have premillennialists claiming that their afterlife doctrine they pull from Revelation. They not only get the list wrong, they don't get the order right. They miss the list. At least, at least three of them are wrong. They're not even in Revelation. And then the order is, is completely wrong. They get the wrong list and the wrong order. That is a situation where premillennialist preachers are taking things from Revelation and they're trying to create their own narrative with it. Because you can't 
how do you get these lists out of order? I mean, all you have to do is read Revelation. You see the order is not right, and you see that at least two of them aren't even there. Two of these items aren't even in Revelation, and the third one is probably not. I don't know what they're talking about. The reason that I, I every time I teach here, I have someone reading every, every verse of the chapters that we cover is because the premillennialists do not do that. They will hop, skip, and jump through Revelation, making their own narrative. They will not read two verses consecutive to each other. In fact, they usually do not read two verses in consecutive chapters. They will jump all over the place. I had someone, I forgot who it was, I'm not sure who it was. Um, I think it was this gentleman back here, in the Mr. Hewell, I believe it was him told me that he actually saw on TV, he said, sure enough, that's what they do. They just hop, skip, and jump through Revelation and create their own narrative. If you have never seen that, go turn on a channel sometime and watch a premillennialist preacher talk about Revelation. They will jump all over the place creating their own path through Revelation. That's why they get the order completely wrong, and they get the interpretation completely wrong. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.